0: my watch. We're a little bit later than we normally are, um, but God's got something to say to us this morning, and I promise that it's going to be shorter than normal, because I know everyone's like, wait, wait, wait. no, we know you're normally long-winded, so no worries. You don't have to buckle in. You're not going to miss your lunch. We'll get you there, but uh, God's got something for us today, and I'd love to share it with you. Um, Have you ever... Um, in in your life received a a gift as a kid that you were just, you you were dying to get. I mean, in in my lifetime, I can remember as a kid, I would get so excited about receiving a certain toy, whatever it may be. I mean, it could have been uh, a toy car or a toy gun or whatever it may have been. But I would get myself so worked up to me in, in in myself that it was everything in that moment. That toy was it. If I would just get that one toy, it would be great. I'd often think of the possibilities of that toy and and what I could do with it, and I would make great plans for that toy. And when it came to Christmas time, man, you used to get that Sears uh, wish book. I don't know if you get, remember getting that. And man, I would circle all the things in it, and I would I would plot the toy that I wanted. I'd think long and hard about it, and I'd get excited for it. But then what happens? is you, you actually get the toy. And the toy can't possibly live up to the expectations that you have in your mind, or at least never did for me, and so there was nothing I could do about it. I get the toy, and what I found out is that, and my wife can back this, back this up, is I'm very clumsy. And so that toy would inevitably get broken, either because I'm clumsy or because the toy makers are, are really, really cheap. And in that moment, there would be a moment of just sheer terror as to what just happened. This toy just broke There'd be a moment of sadness, and then what would happen to that toy is it would become obsolete. The toy would never to be used again, oftentimes thrown in the trash because it was useless or worthless. Isn't that what happens to things that are broken? or seemingly useless or worthless. They get thrown away. I mean, even as adults, we have an easier time of getting rid of these different things. But for me, if I break something, if it's not terribly expensive, I'm usually just going to throw it away because most of you know I am not a very handy guy. So I'm certainly not going to fix it um, or take the time to fix it because in most cases I don't have a clue what I'm doing there. This is what happens with broken things. It could be something you wear. It could be something you play with, whatever it may be. If it's broken, it's viewed as worthless or useless. But isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? For those of you who know what you're doing, who are handy in a certain way, and you have the patience and the desire, you can get these broken things back to life, so to speak. And then they can be brought back to a point where that certain thing can be used again and sometimes used even better than what it was in the very beginning. Broken things get thrown away unless someone comes along and fixes it. Let me ask you something this morning. Have you ever felt broken in your life? Have you ever gotten to a point in your life where you thought to yourself, man, you know what? I am no good. I mean, who who would ever want anything to do with me? How could God possibly use me in His big plan of things? I, I'm way too far gone. Those thoughts creep in, and normally they creep in because of sin not necessarily your sin it could be something that somebody else did to you that has a direct effect on you and cause you to think that you're no good or broken or worthless which my friends is a terrible place to be a dark place to be and when you have those thoughts they couldn't be any further from the truth because one thing that we know in this room as believers that our God is able he, he is the great physician. He, he is the healer, right? He's the one and the only one, by the way, who can fix what is broken in our life and restore us to a place where we can be used for His glory. And so this morning in our short time, and I promise it's going to be short, we're going to see a story of a woman who probably had all the same thoughts. We're going to be going back to the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. We'll have it up on the screen for you. Of course, most of you are familiar with the nation of Israel and their history. They were in captivity for a while. God led them out by a man named Moses, and Moses was going to lead them all the way to the Promised Land. Of course, he messed up. He was not able to go into the land, and so Joshua was the next person up in command. So he led his people to the mouth of the Jordan River, and, 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 and before God would, would split the sea, he, he said he had to step foot into it, and so they crossed the Jordan River, of course, by the power of God, nothing in and of themselves, and they came to a place called Jericho, which is familiar to us, right? If you've ever been in Sunday school, you know Jericho, and you know... Sally, what's the song? Right? I get her thinking about this all the time. Joshua in the Battle of Jericho, right? We talked about it a little bit this morning, and uh, it always gets stuck in her head. Uh, Joshua in the Battle of Jericho, and what happened? The walls came a-tumbling down. Hopefully, that'll get in all of your heads for the rest of the day. You'll be singing it. Of course, the walls came a-tumbling down, but before they came down, there was an important, uh, an important interaction was important interaction that happened between some people that would have lasting effects for the rest of time. And we find that interaction in chapter 2 of Joshua. In chapter 2, we're introduced to a woman. Her name is Rahab. You may have heard of her. Joshua sent spies into all the lands and and also into Jericho. And so they went into Jericho, and they were supposed to be sneaking around, but apparently they weren't stealth-like enough because the king got word that they were in the house of Rahab. So the king sent word to Rahab and said, look, just send them out. And of course Rahab said, look, they, they have left, even though they hadn't. She hid them, of course. So when the soldiers came and checked her place, they didn't see the soldiers left. And then the, the spies were getting ready to leave. But before they left for their camp, there was an exchange that happened between the men and Rahab. See, Rahab hid them because she, she well, not because, but she, she wanted some safety for her and her family, right? The men agreed that that she would receive safety, and if you know the story, they said to her, "Just tie a scarlet cord, or a thread, or a rope outside of your window, and that will signify to us that you live here, and the promise that we made, uh, and and all the people in your house will be saved." Of course, we know the story. They march around the city of Jericho. They they blow their horns and they shout and they do all this, and the walls do come down. Yet the house of Rahab, it stands. The one with the scarlet cord in the window, all of her family was spared. I mean, it's an amazing story if you think about it, and it's a story that has many layers at work. You see the mighty hand of God at work. You see God following through on his promises. He keeps his people safe, and he delivers the enemy literally into their hands. Of course, the walls falling down were were pretty amazing. I mean, how in the world can people marching around a city and blowing trumpets and yelling and screaming, how could it make the walls fall down? Well, of course, we know it was because the mighty hand of God. However, there's a a piece of this story that's often overlooked, a person in the story, and it is that woman, Rahab. I believe what happened in her life could be more miraculous than the walls coming down. Who was this woman, Rahab? If If you're familiar with her at all, Rahab was, of course, a prostitute. We see this in verse 1 of chapter 2 and it's confirmed elsewhere in scriptures. She was oppressed. She was low of the low. She was a sinner, she was broken. And we don't know the reasons why she was doing the things that she was doing, but we know that she was broken and lost and you can imagine if you will the years of mistreatment, and the years of disrespect and imagine the pain and the sorrow she felt and the feelings of emptiness and loneliness that she may have had. And of course those feelings do not negate the sin, but perhaps it sheds some light on to who she may have been as a person. She had had, had men come and go through her doors, and, and many of them would tell her things that she wanted to hear, all just to get something from her. And I'm sure these men would promise her things from time to time. And so she had seen people go back on their promises and break their promises. Yet here, in this moment with the spies, she's looking for another promise, one that is different one that is not based on the fickleness of man, but one based on the sovereign God. And you may say to yourselves, wait a second, this, was, this woman was a prostitute. She was, she was a pagan. The key word is was. Let's look into the scriptures. Verses 9 through 13. This is Rahab talking. She says, I know that the Lord has given you to the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you. I mean, uh, the the word got around. They had heard all of this. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan in Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to me and deliver our lives from death. You, You see what happened in verse 11, right? Rahab recognizes who God is. Rahab admits and confesses that Yahweh is God. He is not just a God, but he is the God. See, Rahab wasn't just saved physically, but she was saved spiritually as well. And you may say, okay, well, wait a second, how do we know this? How do we know that her life indeed was changed? That she she really believed, and how, how can we possibly know this? Well, we see her in other parts of Scripture. You follow me, if you will. We're going to bounce around a little bit from the Old Testament the New Testament and back, but they'll be on the screen. You don't actually have to physically do it. We're going to the book of Hebrews. You're familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter. We sometimes call it the hall of faith. Many heroes of the faith are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of the, uh, the heavy hitters, so to speak, of faith. You look at these men, and just the mention of their names gives you this sense of understanding that they were great men, that they had accomplished great things. They had faith that was deserving of this great faith chapter in Hebrews 11. But would a woman like Rahab, a prostitute that lied to protect her own skin, would she be fitting for this chapter? We'll see what the author does as he begins in chapter 1 in this, in, this, in this chapter, and he gives a history of Israel from their beginning all the way up until where we see the mention of a lady, and we're going to see her in verses 30 through 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And who do we see here in verse 31? By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. She is mentioned here amongst all the greats of the faith. But was what she did such a big deal? Did it make that big of a difference all throughout history? I mean, who cares if this woman dies or not and her whole house falls down and everybody in it? I mean, right? I mean, she's a pagan. Who, who, who would care? And I, and I know that's a harsh way of thinking, but I'm sure some people have felt that. But see, it wasn't just the wall of Jericho. It wasn't just the spies. Although we see that act of faith mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11. So what was it? What was it that made all the difference in history. Jump back with me to Joshua. It seems as if this woman, Rahab, is completely insignificant. That perhaps we wouldn't hear from this lady at all. And of course, we know that we do because we, we see all of Scripture. We see her mentioned again throughout the Bible. But is there something else to this woman? Look at chapter 6, verse 25 of the book of Joshua. However, Rahab, the harlot, and her father's household, and all she had, Joshua spared. They, fed, they came through on the promise. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Rahab lived among the nation of Israel. For instance, where they go, she goes. Who they love, she loves. Who they worship, she now worships. Because why? She recognized God and she responded in action. She was following Yahweh, the true God, which, by the way, would be a prerequisite in order for her to live among the nation for the rest of her life. See, she would have had to continue as an active part of the nation of Israel, worshiping and following Yahweh, true God, to be a part of that community, even though she's technically an outsider. We see that she is going to marry a man from that nation. His name is Salmon. Let that one linger, right? Salmon. It could have been worse, right? It could have been halibut or something. But it it was Salmon. And she marries this guy. How do we know this? Well, we had the genealogical records, and that too is found in Scriptures. Bounce back to the New Testament. Matthew, in verse 5, we see the names of Salmon and Rahab. We see that Salmon married Rahab, and they had a son whose name was Boaz. Sound familiar? It's interesting, right? Boaz was the kinsman redeemer who married Ruth, who was an outsider, which makes sense that he would show compassion to a stranger, being that his mother was a stranger as well. So Boaz and Ruth, they get together. They have a son named Obed. Obed, who is Rahab's grandson, had a boy, and his name was Jesse. Jesse, Rahab's great-grandson, had a boy, and his name was David. The very same David that would become king. You see where this is going, right? Rahab has Boaz, Boaz, Obed, Obed, Jesse, Jesse, David, and what line does the Messiah come from? the line of David. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Look at it. This is the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. I mean, you see this genealogy. It begins with verse 1, and then the section ends in verse 16 by saying, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born. And who is Jesus? He is the Messiah. You see, a prostitute was part of the big plan of God. And without this lady, the plan falls apart. Without this broken woman, this sinful woman, the woman that had been used and abused, that no one else wanted, that no one else thought would amount to anything, she was part of the plan of God. God used her life to be a blessing to generations and multitudes would come to know the Messiah because of her faith in action. This lowly, sinful, broken woman was now an integral part in the plan of God. See, that's what God does. God does things we would never think about. I mean, how can that be possible? He takes things that are broken and he makes them whole. He takes things that are useless and worthless and he makes them a part of his plan. And I I ask you, Are we any different? Our sins may be different. Maybe. They may not be as socially unacceptable as Rahab. Hopefully not. But they're sin. It could be lying. It could be cheating. It could even be lust. And and usually it's a private lust and we try to keep private. But aren't they still sins? Isn't it still sin that separates us from God before we are a believer? Isn't it sin that has us on the road to death? And and what Rahab did is she escaped death and she did not perish. Why? Because of her faith. Because she believed. John 3, 16, the most famous verse in all of the Bible. You know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loved the world. He loved that prostitute see he didn't just die for you he died for the prostitute he died for those those children in Guatemala that we minister to those kids in Maine He, he he died for the difficult people in your life that you just cannot stand he died for those people that have wronged you in ways that you can't even imagine and he died for you and he died for me see we are saved in the exact same way that Rahab was saved by grace through faith Whether it's a kid struggling to survive in Guatemala or a prostitute headed down the wrong path or perhaps somebody here in this body this morning, we are all lost before we come to know Christ. We're all saved in the same way. As messed up as we are, as many times as we have fallen and stumbled down that path of sin or as as many times as things that have happened to us, not by our doing but somebody else's doing that causes us to so much pain, despite all of that, God can still use you. Don't think for a second that you are too broken, too far gone to make it back into the loving arms of the Savior. Look, if it's a mistake that you have made, then yeah, you know what, you're going to have to deal with the consequences. But you still don't think God can usually use you? You realize, don't you, that in the great hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, the only sin that is mentioned in that entire chapter chapter is the sin of Rahab. Yet look at how God used her. And it's not just her, of course, you know this, right? Look at how God used broken and messed up people all throughout Scripture. Look at this Jacob was a cheater, Peter had a temper. David had an affair Noah got drunk Jonah ran from God Paul was a murderer Gideon had insecurities Martha was a worrier Thomas was a doubter Sarah was impatient Moses had anger issues Roy Ahab was a harlot we could go on and on about the messed up and sinful people that God used throughout history but God used them I wonder what is stopping you what is your excuse what's stopping you from getting up off of the sidelines and being used by God to tell others about him but look listen The sin, it's not about the sin. One preacher once said this, and I I quoted him and I've forgotten his name, uh, but I'm trying to give him credit. He said, God is not glorified by our sin, but by the grace that overwhelms that sin. Should we sin that grace abounds? No. But God can work through it. God can bring you through it. And what Rahab was is not as important as what she became. My friends, God is not done with you. Your story is still being written. And if you are willing, God can use you to continue to bring light into this dark world, which we so desperately need. You heard all the testimonies this morning, you saw the videos people that went on missions trips, and you may be sitting there and saying, well, I didn't get to go on a missions trip, and, 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 and you're so ha, ha, you know, God used them, but, but and it's great, if you can go on a mission trip, that's awesome, but guess what? You can be used by God right where you are. No matter what job you're in as you walk into the office tomorrow morning or onto the job site, or whatever it may be that's going on in your life, whatever you're doing, God can use you right where you are no matter what you've gone through, no matter how broken you feel, no matter what somebody else has done to you, God can use that. But you know what we need to do first? We have to believe in Him. That's what Rahab did. Rahab recognized God for who He was. And that recognition can't just stop at recognition. That recognition moves to faith in action. We've got to get up off the sidelines and say, oh, well, I can't make a difference. And you know what? Maybe you can't, but God can through you just be faithful. Say, God, I I want to do your work. And you know what? Do you think Rahab had a clue what was going to happen in her life, in her line, when she says, yeah, I'll hide the spies? There is no possible way. God handled the details. God handled what happened next. There's no way she could have known We don't have to know what's going to happen next. We don't have to know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't have to, to know what's going to happen if we open our mouth up at work and we tell somebody about our loving God and what He has done for you and for me. We don't have to have all the answers. We need to trust God with the details and know that He is sovereign and He will use it for His glory. We believe. We put our faith into action and we trust God for the details just as Rahab did. Look, you may be broken here this morning, but you're not worthless. God can use you. Will you pray with me? Our God, we are grateful that you can use anyone, anything for your glory. Lord, we see you working through broken vessels all throughout scripture. Thank you so much for your word that we can dig into. Lord, that we can see examples. We can see how you've dealt with people, how you've worked through people. Lord, We don't claim to be anything. It's not about us. It's about you. It's about your word and your glory being taken to a dying, lost world, and we are lost. Lord, I pray for each one in this room. I pray, Lord, that we will respond in faith, that we will put that faith, Lord, into action, and trust you for the details. You'll handle the results. Lord, there are times in our lives when we just feel worthless and broken, but through you, we know that anything is possible. So we thank you for the encouragement that you've given us this morning, and we pray that we can go out these doors with a renewed sense of purpose, knowing what we need to do, and that is to bring your word to a fallen world. Lord, give us the strength to do that, and we'll trust you for the, for the results. We thank you for all of this in your son's name.